welcome to the Elevate Evaluate podcast. I'm your host, Maritza Concha, and I'm super excited to have with me my colleague and good friend, Marielena Villar, to talk about episodes that were submitted by my graduate students. How are you doing, Marielena? I'm doing well, doing well. Thank you for inviting me again. I really enjoyed listening to the episodes. Great, yeah. For um, every semester, I had this idea of... Um, submitting three or four episodes, the best episodes, um, after each semester, right? But I couldn't help it this time. I had about nine excellent episodes. And I have to be honest with you, for a six-week six week class, my graduate students exceeded all my expectations. I was also very pleased. I, I really liked the diversity of topics and um, the different approaches that they took to, to explaining the concepts and telling the story and linking it to real life. I really think that was one of the strengths of the series this time. I think so. And, and, um, and those real life scenarios plus, they also have some experience working in, non, in the nonprofit sector. So also that combination uh, helped to illustrate their point that they were trying to make. So this is great. I mean, we have, um, those night episodes organizing four general topics. So these topics are the role of stakeholders in program evaluation, program evaluation general techniques in service delivery, cultural competence in evaluation, and ethics. So let's talk more about each of these. Uh, to begin with, the role of stakeholders involvement. What I noticed was that my students were able to understand what stakeholders are, who they are, how important um, their input is in all stages of product evaluation. So one question that I have, Maria Elena, is what has been your experience in working with stakeholders in evaluation? What are some of the successes or the challenges you encountered during your career? If you have a good anecdote to share. Yeah. I think it's impossible to overstate how important it is not to do evaluation in, in isolation because um, you know, there, there's, if there's a grant or a logic model, there are specific outcomes. And if you only look at measuring those outcomes, um, you're probably missing a big part of the picture if you don't involve the people that were part of, of making those outcomes come to fruition. So the staff, the clients, just really understanding the context is such an important part of evaluation. We've had many experiences where we go in with an evaluation plan and after speaking to, to the stakeholders, you realize that's the wrong approach, that's not the right way to reach the population. Um, these kinds of questions could be considered threatening <laughs> um, right. or even just misunderstanding how the services were delivered or, or part of the context. So an evaluator should never just go in with their own tools without first consulting everyone else. No, I, I agree completely with you. I think one of the lessons learned for me is that if we want to, let's say, collect a survey or uh, doing interviews with the community in general, how uh, you're able to write appropriate questions and to make sure that the content is uh, being respectful for the community itself and, and trying to understand who are our participants. If we don't get the buy-in from the stakeholders, if we don't talk to them, how are we going to know? Even it's, it's, it's a difficult process, but it's a necessary one to, to, to do to ensure that we are um, making things right and correct. And I was happy to see that concept that value of, of respect for the recipients of services throughout 
that which, which is relevant to cultural competence, to ethics, and to, to just putting together evaluation um, tools and bringing together stakeholders. That was very, it was a, a theme that went through all of the episodes. I think so, definitely. And so the second topic has to do with general um, techniques on product evaluation, just the importance of doing product evaluation service delivery. So uh, one of the topics that was addressed in uh, one of the episodes have to do with passion, uh, that you have to be, you have to have passion on what you're doing as an evaluator, as an uh, agent for social change. But how difficult can it be to be passionate and also ethical at the same time? That's one of the things that I always struggle with. I don't know if you have found the same, you know, yeah. same situation. Yeah, and, and, and ethical and objective, right? And because... Um, the the rationale for bringing in external evaluation evaluators usually is the you know expectation that if you're part of the program you're going to be naturally biased towards thinking it's a great program right because you're right. A part of it. Um, but I agree with the student that said it helps to be passionate in the larger sense, in the sense of the big picture. Um, these kinds of community services are going to work are so important to help people um, reach their full potential. And they're gonna work to the extent that they achieve what they're trying to achieve, that they are run in an effective and efficient manner so that they can continue, right? And, right. and to me, it does help because, you know, um, evaluation can also be tedious and boring and there's a, you know, kind of lonely part to it, but, um, but being passionate about that big picture and why doing good program evaluation that provides actionable feedback for the programs to improve and to demonstrate to funders that good work is being done. Um, I, I find that passion helpful. I agree with you. And sometimes, you know, even uh, doing things differently as an evaluator, you know, trying to break the cycle of traditional evaluation techniques and skills, like even if you're doing data analysis, you can take a look at that data with different eyes. And so you can get information that other people cannot see. And that's because you're passionate about it and, and you're still being ethical. So um, I think that's where uh, is really important, um, the, the, the fact that you have to be passionate about. And the other thing that they, um, it was mentioned in one of the episodes is how do we write evaluation questions, the importance of fiction and when is uh, technical too technical, right? So what, what criteria we need to take into consideration when we write evaluation questions? That was a, that was a very interesting episode. For me, it was very well researched and provided great examples of, of how wording, just word of choice in your data collection tools can make a big difference. If somebody's reading something that's way above their comfort level in terms of literacy level, or uses, you start reading something with a lot of words that you don't understand, you immediately lose interest and feel and, and can feel inadequate, like this is not for you, and disengage, right? So it's, it's extremely important, and that ties into the stakeholders and also to the cultural competence. Mm -hmm making sure you get you get input from folks. I mean, a very common uh, scale used, you know, Likert type scale that's used in, in questionnaires for some populations, that's not a very easy thing to complete. I mean, what's the difference between strongly agree and just agree? And if you're not used to 
thinking of things on a scale of one to five, suddenly putting a paper in front of you that has that isn't going to be helpful. So you kind of have to understand what, what's the best way to get the feedback that you need from the people that you're trying to approach. And I think that uh, for me as an evaluator, one of the, the things that I notice is that sometimes it's difficult to even distinguish between the types of evaluation questions you ask um, between process and between outcome evaluation questions or cost-effective evaluations or related to needs assessment. So um, those things can be uh, sometimes problematic because they're too technical, they're too vague and you don't have a criteria or some sense of measurement in the question to help you um, measure what you're supposed to be measuring. So that's when the technicality comes when it comes to, to um, being an evaluator and, um, and how do you communicate because communication is key here with the stakeholders and with the community in general um, in terms of addressing or uh, justifying the evaluation questions that you have asked. So I think that was also a very interesting episode. I have many experiences of having to change a question or completely de delete it reluctantly, but because I'm convinced that it's not going to end up being valid because it's not coming across the way I intended. Right. Yes, so it's, it's, you learn as you, you know, grow, I guess, <laughs> through experience. So the next topic is cultural competence in evaluation. So, um, and this is very, very important, in, specifically in the current times that we're living in right now. How do we advocate for social justice when doing product evaluation, right? And, and some topics address uh, this issue about understanding uh, your program using cultural competence lessons, understanding your target audience, and even your staff. So I know you have a, a very good, um, uh, I guess, the input here, Marilena, from one of the episodes that you want to share. Well, I, I was commenting to you before we started talking that um, I thought that there were a couple of episodes that really um, illustrated cultural competence and what it means in, in, in practice through anecdotes, right? So one of, the, one of the episodes described an evaluation situation where young students were asked to a dean's office and just the, the cultural factors related to place and identity and power, right? right? Where it has nothing to do with race and ethnicity, which is usually what what most people think of when they think Associate. Of, yeah. of culture. And just the way that um, they told that story really helped to illustrate that aspect of culture. And also the, the episode about LGBTQ plus mm -hmm. um, cultural competence, besides giving a lot of great... Uh, tips and advice on how you can try to be more culturally competent on these issues. Mm -hmm. um, they also spoke about a personal example of how they became by observation and by interest and by finding out things on their own, knowledgeable about a culture that was different from theirs and encouraging listeners to do the same with LGBTQ people and culture. So um, I just thought that using those anecdotes was a very powerful way to, to explain the concept. Definitely. I think that's one of the um, key lessons here that 
the students use their own anecdotes or the things that have happened through work experiences as well may help understand a little bit more how to apply the topic, right, on cultural competence. And, and in my uh, particular um, experience, I, I, and this is something that you also know that we both have been working with the Latino community for several years now. And with, at least I started with the farm workers um, population and doing evaluations um, for domestic violence prevention services in the area of Homestead. So most of the work that I, that, uh, I have done in, in, my, in the beginning of my career has to focus with um, the farm workers population. And it was so difficult for me to, even if we use, you know, you translate the, the tool into Spanish, uh, how do you approach them? Some people have low literacy levels. So even if I use very simple Spanish words, they still feel not engaged or um, really not collaborate. They don't want to collaborate with me because they didn't feel that they trust me or they didn't feel comfortable. So a couple of things that I learned throughout time that even, you know, uh, translated a document or evaluation tool into the primary language of the target population may not work, that you also need to understand their values, their attitudes, their behaviors, and uh, which is key um, to get their buy-in and, and to, to, to get the information that you're looking for with the ultimate purpose of obviously helping them out. So that was one of the things that I, I, I had as an experience. Um, and, and, mm-hmm. and that example ties together with the stakeholders, right? Yes. Because you know, you not being a farm worker doesn't mean you you can't evaluate a farm worker project, but Mm -hmm. having other farm workers involved in the process and really talking to stakeholders and maybe cultural brokers that will introduce kind of what you're trying to do to Mm -hmm. folks will, will increase that trust and that is crucial. I mean, I think everybody, no matter what their situation is, if you don't trust why someone's asking you questions, you're not going to answer them, honestly. Exactly, exactly. And then the last topic has to do with ethics and evaluation. So it was very interesting to see some of my students and how they decided to compare um, the ethical guidelines from the American Evaluation Association and the Canadian Evaluation Association. And they were able to see how they differ from each other depending on their cultural aspects as well uh, and, uh, of, at the country level, I will say. And uh, also some um, other students, they talk about in the importance of in using informed consents, the issue of confidentiality and safety. So here's my question that I have when we talk about ethics. Uh, where do we draw the line between research and evaluation when it comes to ethics? Is it really clear or is it a line that doesn't exist and we're talking about the same thing? So um, what do you think, Maria Elena? What an interesting question. Um, I think that as, as evaluators, we should try to use the same rigorous uh, standards of ethics as we are uh, mandated to use for research when we do evaluation with the understanding that sometimes when things are taken to the field and uh, you know, they can be adapted and that perhaps not everything needs to be, you know, the the same rules of IRB, for example, um, Mm -hmm. apply. But the principles of respect for persons, informed consent, minimizing harm, increasing benefit, (laughs) those things should be present at all times. 
and respecting people. And so, you know, and that includes paying people for their time. If you're asking them for a lot to spend a lot of time on your evaluation, mm -hmm. the program staff are getting paid. The evaluators are getting paid. You know, why not the participants that are, that are part Taking of their that. time, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and things not causing harm, obviously not asking things that could incriminate them or put them in any bad light, but even, um, things like one of the episodes was about <clears throat> evaluating domestic violence if your programs if you're talking to survivors of domestic violence you know it might be great to hear their story but do you really need to kind of re-traumatize them or, or put them in an uncomfortable situation again for only for purposes of evaluation right right so minimum you know minimizing harm making sure that that the burden on, on the respondents is minimal and um and then of course the ethical the kind of research ethics of it of being honest and um reporting accurately and uh being transparent about limitations or errors right right so i feel very strongly about ethics and i think there's very few things that are ethical dilemmas i think most things mm -hmm. If you really look at them, there's an ethical way to do it, and then, <laughs> and then the other way to do it. <laughs> so that's why it's important to keep talking about it. Yeah. No, definitely, and I think uh, particular attention has to be played with uh, sensitive or vulnerable populations. That's where we need to be. You know, we need to be very, very careful with everybody, but uh, particular with uh, vulnerable populations as victims of domestic violence and also victims of human trafficking, for instance, to make sure that we are not re-traumatizing them and for the purpose of getting information that will meet our, um, you know, our, uh, answering those evaluation questions that we are trying to answer. So that's one of the key issues that I think I'm taking away. Yeah, and um uh, thank you, Maria Elena, for, for, for your time and, and to talk about, uh, the, you know, the, about the reflections that we just did on my students' uh, work. And I'm very thankful for having such a good group of students. Um, so this is just a notification for, for future students or potential students. If you're interested in taking a class with me on product evaluation, you have to register um, to uh, any of the product evaluation classes at UCF. I teach undergraduate and graduate students. And another thing that I want to share with all of you is that starting in the fall, I will be interviewing product evaluation consultants um, to ask them about what recommendations they have for students who may be thinking about product evaluation as a career. So what are their success stories and also their failures? Because I think you learn most of the time from your failures, not your success. <laughs> and please do not forget to subscribe to the Elevate Evaluate podcast. And again, you can find it um, at the Apple Podcast Store, Google Podcast, or Spotify. And Marina, would you like to add anything else? Anything? Thank you so much for having me and for finding such a great way to talk about evaluation. Oh, you're welcome. And this is exciting. Thank you so much.